0: Husbands, we finally come to you in this series on the household. And I want you to know that before we jump into our text this morning, that I'm not going to make it any easier on you than I did for the wives. I know we hit submission and that seemed really hard and difficult for the wives, but I'm actually going to put even more burden on you uh, this morning, husbands. In fact, everything that I've said up to this point, as it relates to the family and the household, I want you to know that God holds you accountable for it. Okay? When God looks at you, he is going to ask what account you are going to give for your household, for your family. As the head of the household, as we've seen already that the husband is, you are the one that God looks to to give an account for the body of your family, of your wife and your children. Just as the elders have to give an account for the souls that they look after in the household of God and the church, according to Hebrews 13, this is the wording that it even uses, so also husbands and fathers will have to give an account for their husbands one or for their households one day. If you've been here throughout the series, I've repeatedly reiterated the fact that it is the covenant that binds the household together. It's, that is the stuff that brings all of us together in union in the household. And how we operate within this covenantal order determines the overall health of the household. Okay, And this is why we spent so much time on authority and submission in the earlier sermons, because it's so crucial to get that down. If you remember, Scripture tells us that the head of every wife is her husband. The head of every man is Christ and the head of Christ is God the Father. Okay? So this is the order. This is the order that we must embrace, we must stick to it and we must say this is how we move forward. But How we as husbands carry this order out is going to be the subject of our following sermons, okay? We need to particularly understand what it means for the husband to be the head of his household. What does it mean that a husband is the head of his wife? So today we'll answer what it means for the husband to do that, to love his wife as the head. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to start in verses 25 this morning and finish the chapter. If you'll remember, we've already actually looked at verses 1 through, where did we go? We went 1 through 21 in one sermon, talking about mutual submission, where everyone submits, wives, husbands, uh, bondservants, everyone submits uh, to Christ out of reverence to Christ. Then we looked at wives. This was verse 22 through 24. Now we find ourselves on husbands. So if you would, turn in your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 33. These are the words of God. Let's give attention to them this morning, church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the water or washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish in the same way. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the husband see that she respects her husband. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. The word of God for his people. Let's pray. Lord, we need your help this morning. As we come to your word, we know that we need spiritual eyes to see what we are looking at on the page. So Lord, we pray that you would do that, that you would open our eyes, that you would open our ears, give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you would have for us this morning i pray that you would soften us by your grace that we might be able to um, embrace all that you've given to us and that we might be able to live that out in joy that we wouldn't just admit it but that we would actually find joy in following you and lord most importantly this morning i pray that the husbands in particular but everyone here this morning would see jesus Let us see what he's done for us. Let it uh, blow our minds with your grace and how you've provided for us and how you've cared for us and your love. We ask this all in the name of Jesus this morning. Amen. Amen. So I plan to tackle the husbands or maybe I should say plan to tackle the subject of husbands the same way that I did the wives. Okay, I'll break this down into who this is addressed to. We'll look at that first. Who are we talking about? Uh, Then what the command is particularly what is it that this text is telling the husbands to do, then dig deeper into the clarification of the command, that is, uh, the manner in which this should be carried out. And then finally, we're going to look at the result of the command. What happens when we follow what God has given us in the order of the household? So we come first to the address. Who is this addressed to? Well, it's pretty obvious, right, to the husbands. Now, I want to say the same thing, Uh, About husbands that I did for wives when I began the subject of who uh, the address was oriented towards when we started to look at the wives. This is towards husbands primarily, not wives. Okay? That is not to say that the wives can check out on all these sermons and just kind of put your fingers in your ear and say, well, this is the husbands. I don't need to listen. But their their listening should be different in the way that we are addressing them. Just like uh, Paul makes a distinction here. He tells wives one thing and he tells husbands one thing. So their listening should be in ways that help their husbands carry out this household order, not to do it for them. Okay, So you don't listen this morning. So if your husband drops the ball that, oh, you can step in and carry the, the ball for him. No, you need to learn in a way where you help and fuel your husband to do what he needs to do. Okay, So just as husbands cannot force wives to submit to them, we talked about that, right? Neither can wives force husbands to love them. You can't force it. You can't force Love, the command of God, must be carried out in willingness and faith. Okay, you, you must want to do it. Otherwise, it's sin. Okay, Anything you don't do in faith is sin, is what the Scriptures tell us. So another way of saying this is that you can't force-feed righteous living. You can't make someone be righteous. They have to choose to do that on their own. It has to be willing. And as such... The husbands need to pray for a softened heart that is willing and ready to receive this command. And the wives need to partner with them in prayer. Notice the, how I said that they need to partner with them in prayer, not to uh, nag or wind this into existence, as can be uh, the tendency sometimes. I believe there's proverbs that talk about uh, leaking faucets, uh, better to be in the, the corner of a roof than that kind of thing. So that's the kind of way you need to orient yourselves, wives. As you come to your husbands with this, you can't just keep uh, poking them uh, to get the issue across. You need to partner with them in prayer and help them to do the things that they are called to do. So we're talking to husbands, okay? Talking to husbands directly and wives indirectly. So that's who it's addressed to. Now we come to the command, okay? The command is this it seems very simple love your wives. That's what God tells you this morning, husbands. Love your wives. Now, we shouldn't spend as much time on what the command is saying as much as we should on what it means. Okay? It's easy to say, love your wife. Uh, for instance, if, if Tyler were here, I could walk up to him as a newlywed and kind of give him a good manly pat on the back and say, Hey, I've got some great, uh, great marriage advice for you as a seasoned person. It's this. Love your wife. He, he'd kind of just laugh at me and say, okay, thanks. Right? So, so we need to move past just love and kind of expound on what that means. What does it mean to love our wives? And what is love? Okay? Half of the problem is that people think that love is self-explanatory. Okay? It's a real problem. Love is not self-explanatory. Okay? Love is love doesn't make sense no matter how many bumpers you slap that sticker on. Okay, It doesn't make any sense. Love needs to have examples and you need to give good clarifying examples of what it is. You can't just say love is love. So we're talking about a particular kind of love this morning that needs to be explained. And let's do that now. The command explains is love your wives like Christ loves the church. Okay, now we have something to work with. Like Christ loves the church. You could go a million different directions with this, but let's just stick to the text and what it's saying. Love your wife like Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her, is what it says. Okay, so we can see that Christ loves the church by giving himself up for her. So this kind of love is a giving love. Godly love gives, okay? For God so loved the world that he gave. Okay, so this is the way that God loves. He's a, he's a giver. So we can already see that the nature is uh, much more of an action than it is a feeling. Okay? So think about this, wives. It's not just uh, a feeling of love towards your wife. It's not just that Jesus feels a certain way about the church. He's do, he does things about the church. Okay? So uh, when Christ loves the church by giving uh, of himself, it's not a shallow giving either. Okay, it's not just good vibes that he's giving towards the church. It's not flowers that he's giving towards his bride, which is the church. It's not chocolates. It's not even simply time. It is himself. Christ gives all of himself. Okay, He is giving his life. It's not just even his presence. He gives his life for the bride. Let that sink in, husbands. That's the kind of calling that we're starting to talk about here. This is a serious kind of... Love. It is a love that is your whole life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Okay, That, that, that quote is uh, given to show Christians that the, the calling to Christianity is a, a calling of sacrifice. But how much more that, uh, that a man, when he is called to marriage, when the, the text specifically says, This is how you love your wife. You love it like Christ loves the church. How much more is this a summons to uh, death? In marriage, when husbands are called towards marriage. You're called to die when you get married for your bride. This is a hard calling, husbands. This is something that's difficult to swallow, okay? So marriage for the husband is a summons to death in a way. And not even death for self, but a death of self for his bride. He's called to give himself up for his wife like Christ gave himself up for us. Right? That's what the text tells us. Just like Jesus did this, husbands are called to do this for their wives. Okay? So this is a giving kind of love. What else? Okay. What other kind of ways is this love given to us? Well, we see that it is an undeserved love. Okay? How did Christ give himself up for us? Did, did, did Christ descend from on high, bringing good gifts towards men who were so beautifully arrayed with good works? And he looked down and he saw all the people of the earth and he said, wow, they are doing so good. I would die for them because they are so faithful to me. They're such a good bride. Is that the picture that we get in Scripture? Is that the people that Jesus, the husband, comes to give himself for, for the church? okay, For the wife, for the bride, whatever you want to call it. No, no. No, God commended his love towards us, as Romans tells us. God commended his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think about that. While we were still sinners, doing the things that you... Just confessed a minute ago in the confession of sin. While you were doing that, as nasty as that come th- is, as you go to there in your mind, that's what you were doing when Jesus loved you. That's an interesting thought. And now, husbands, think of that—that that sin that they are dealing with, or uh, whatever sin, or whatever person in this room, husband or wife. That what you're doing in that moment—that is how Jesus loves you in that moment. Husbands are called to do that to their wives in that moment. Okay, that's hard. That's really difficult to do, okay? Now think about this, who who we are likened to as sinners, as the bride of Christ, the wife of Christ. If you look back in the Old Testament, the people of God who become the bride of Christ. Th- these are people that are not well described, okay? These I mean, if you look at the Old Testament, it says that they are the harlots. Okay, That's the people of God. That's the bride. This is the, the whore that is uh, doing the very things that the catechism that we just confessed uh, uh, to, to not do. They were doing that. right? They were whoring after other gods. They were being uh, adulterous in worship. They were mixing all kinds of uh, practices. They were a stiff-necked people, drunk on the blood of their own children. They had mixed their worship with other gods. They were unfaithful. And their children ended up paying the price for it, and they were still all prideful and stubborn as ever. This is the people that Jesus came to love. He gave himself for. That is the bride of Christ that Jesus comes after. They are sinners, and this is who Christ comes for and calls friend and even bride. So this is an undeserved love, husbands. We need to realize that when we love our wives, in a sense, it's a gracious thing that we're doing because you're not always going to love them because they're lovable. You're loving them through that. That's the calling. You give yourself in that kind of way, okay? Now, husbands have been called to this deadly romance, right? That's what marriage is starting to look like as we look at this text. It's, it's a hard calling towards death, and we are the ones who represent the husband in that relationship that we see here uh, in this text, That that relationship of sacrificing our own lives for the sake of one not deserving it at all, namely the bride, okay? We husbands represent the bride, and the wives represent the bride of Christ. Okay? Now, before the wives begin to feel bad about representing the sinful bride in this analogy, I want you to realize the reality of this situation. As we start to think about, okay, husbands are likened to Christ, wives are likened to the church. Wives, we need to realize you are sinners. Okay, you just confessed it earlier. That's the reality of it. So this shouldn't be insulting to represent yourself as a sinner in this text, uh, that hangs some people up. So that's why I have to mention that. So it's easier to come by once you realize that husbands actually make up the bride of Christ too. Like We're sinners too. We're all sinners. But there's sometimes a bit of jealousy that wives can have because the husbands get to represent Christ in this picture. And you can kind of hear someone saying, well, why do they get to be Jesus and I have to be the sinful bride, right? So that's what can come to our mind if we think about this. But think about the reality of what this text is saying though. What is Jesus doing here? Jesus dies in the story. Okay, This is what husbands are called to. So it's actually a, a burden off of our shoulders if we step back and realize that this is actually a calling to be saved okay, by the wives. This is a, a gracious thing that this text is telling to the wives and a really hard thing that it's calling the husbands to, namely to give their lives up for their bride. So what this text is saying is that husbands should love their sinful wives in such a way that they give their life for the bride as it was their own body. Okay? They give their life for their bride as if it were his own body. So husbands are called to imitate Christ in loving the unlovable at the expense of his own life. That is an extremely difficult thing to do. It's really it's easy to love someone that loves you and is being nice to you all the time and is never sinning against you. But here husbands are called to love the one that sins against them. Okay, They, they take that responsibility. And wives, I want you to let this sink in for a moment. Your husband is called to die to himself so that your burdens of sin might be handled by him. Okay? The boy goes down, the girl goes free. This is what my pastor always used to tell me, uh, or tell his uh, kids and tell his church often when he's talking about male, female, and especially husband and wife relationship. The boy goes down, the girl goes free. Okay? Husbands, love your wives like Christ. Christ goes down, the bride goes free. This is the story of the gospel that we hear over and over. And we don't take it seriously enough uh, how much husbands are being called to when they're being called to love their wives like Christ. Okay, you know, it's hard enough to take responsibility for your own sins, husbands. I realize this. You have sins that you have committed that you have to take responsibility. But the calling here is to take not just responsibility for your own sins, but even the sins of your family saying this is my family. This is my body, and I am going to take responsibility for it, and it is in my lap to give an account of God of how my household is doing, how my marriage is doing. This is the kind of love that we are called to. It's difficult. And realize, husbands, this love isn't a a passive acceptance of this reality either. It's easy to say, well, yeah, that's what marriage is, and just kind of hands off and say, I believe that, okay? It's easy to affirm that and kind of nod your head and say yes. But marriage doesn't just happen like this. Okay, You have to make this happen. You actually have to put some effort forth. It's an active giving of oneself. Okay, You don't wait for it to be deserved. You don't wait around for your marriage to just happen like this just because that's the order of the way it should be doesn't mean that it's going to naturally come this way there's a natural tendency that we have inclined towards sin and that sin is actually going to make this all the more difficult to take responsibility for this is this is fighting at times okay this is uh, this is cultivating the ground that is really dry and needs to be uh, tilled up so that you can get a, a place where you're actually able to plant something in it this is something that is going to be by the sweat of your brow and you have to take initiative for it, okay? So, you fight to present her blameless. You fight to present your family as spotless. The, the husband should initiate and pursue his bride in her sins so that, she, uh, so that he might even identify himself with those sins and take responsibility for them, okay? This is super hard. If you, if you really realize what I'm saying, when the husband says those are my sins in a sense, He's not saying I sinned them, but he is saying it's my problem. So the husband has this responsibility to hunt down the wife in all her sins and say, I will love you to death. I will love you to death by trading my life for the sins that are killing you. I'll die for that. I love you that much. My life for yours. Your sins will be covered by my love because my love covers a multitude of sins. That's the kind of love that Christ has towards us. He hunts us down in our sins, and he loves us to death. And not by sweeping them under the rug, but by paying for them. This is the way Jesus loves us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin, we just looked at it a minute ago, He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Think about that. Jesus, he who knew no sin, became sin. Where did that come from? From us, okay? The bride of Christ became—he became that, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Where did that come from? Well, that comes from Jesus. Jesus is the righteous one that He's handing over for us, giving to us as the bride or as the husband of the bride of Christ. So this scripture summarizes our text today better than any other that I could think of. Jesus so identified Himself with our sin that the scripture says He became sin. It's almost scandalous okay he doesn't say he became a sinner because he didn't do it no but he did take responsibility for it saying that i am sin okay so in a covenantal way that's the way this all connects in a covenantal way he connected himself to us by saying count me as your sin on the cross i will die your death that you deserve because i love you that's what jesus did for us and you can therefore receive my righteous status before god and go free Boy goes down, girl goes free. So the real question at stake in the headship conversation is: we're debating back and forth about submission and headship and all that. It's not about who gets the last word in the argument. That's what some people think that this is all about. Well, who gets the last say? That really is irrelevant. It doesn't matter at all. The question is: is who takes responsibility for that last word in the argument? It might be the wife that gets the last word in the argument. How are you going to respond, husband? How are you going to say that this is my issue and my family and it doesn't matter what she said, it doesn't matter what I said. How am I going to make this right as the husband of the family? How am I going to be accountable to God where I can look at God in the face and say, I did everything that I could to love my bride, to love my wife, to love my family, and to take responsibility. I did everything that I could to make this right. That's what husbands are called to in marriage. So the biblical answer is the husband says, I will step up. I will take responsibility for that last word, no matter what it says, because he is the responsible head. He's the head of that body. It doesn't matter if the body said it, he's, he's the head of that body. And by this covenantal representation where the, the head represents the body, Jesus presents his bride to himself in splendor. Okay, This is what the text says. It says without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. This is the pattern that Jesus gives to us for husbands. He's already done this, is what uh, the text is saying. So husbands are called to do this too. And this text tells us that through the washing of water and the word, this sanctifying and cleansing reality comes true. Okay, that's what it says. By the washing of water and the word is how this comes about. So. This is talking about baptism here, if you didn't notice. Through baptism in water, with the baptismal formula taken from God's Word, in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and so on. Through this, we are set apart as Jesus' bride. Okay, Though we are not actually sinless in baptism... Okay. When we are baptized, we are not actually sinless. Nevertheless, through his sanctifying means of grace, we are counted as though we were as the sinless Christ. We are identifying with Christ, and we take on his identity through baptism. And this happens only covenantally. That's the way it happens. Okay. It's not actually, it's covenantally. So baptism as a sign and seal of the new covenant. Just like circumcision was the sign and seal of the Old Covenant. And here in this text, that mystery is reanimated. It's retold through the covenant of marriage. Okay? We have a lot of covenantal language here where all the, the covenant kind, kind of comes together. And just as we are represented and identified with Christ in baptism, what is his is ours and ours his, this text tells us when a man marries his wife, the two become one flesh. Okay, that's what's happening here in the covenant of marriage. The two become one, sins and all, okay? What is hers becomes his, and what is his becomes hers, and the husband as the head takes responsibility for that, okay? And this is the way a man loves his wife as his own body, where he says, well, it's, it's, she's mine, okay? She's, that's my body now. He loves his wife in that way where she, it's not him and hers, okay? It's not his stuff, her stuff. It's, okay, she is mine. We are one now. He loves his bride by nourishing and cherishing it as his own, okay? That's what the text tells us. So let's get practical, man. You know how good it feels to come home after a long week of work, kind of kick back and nourish yourself, to cherish yourself to a time of relaxation, right? Many of you know how good it feels to literally nourish yourself with good food and cherish your body by giving it what it needs and wants. Paul says, no one ever hated his own body. Yeah, we we like this. This is good. And those are not bad things at all. In fact, the text tells us this very thing. No one hates their own body. We take care of our own body. We get this, right? We understand that our body is good. But the implication here is that you love your wife like that. Okay? You love your wife like that. So those things that you nourish and cherish yourself, the way that you do that towards yourself, it's saying, actually, you need to do that towards your wife. Okay? And give yourself up, yourself up so that she might experience the things that you desire, okay? While you take responsibility for the shortcomings on her end. This is difficult. It's not fun sometimes, husbands, but this is the reality of it. This is the way that Jesus loves us, where he puts his needs aside and loves us in our sin and is willing to even give us the good things that he has for the sake of cherishing his bride and presenting her spotless, okay? Where he'll say, that is my bride, I love her, I cleanse her, I take responsibility for her, and I'll do everything in my power to present her to myself in splendor, with beauty. Okay? This is the way that we are called to love our wives. Okay? Your wife is never to be thrown under the bus for her sins. Don't ever, ever do that, husbands. The biblical answer to that is you actually jump in front of the bus for your wife, throw her out of the way. Boy goes down. Girl goes free. We take responsibility, wherever our wives are, for our wives, and we lay our lives down for them, even if it means our death, literally, emotionally, physically, whatever it might be. This is the way that Jesus loves us. All around, okay? It's not just his physical body, it's even emotionally for us. Jesus went through intense turmoil for the sake of his bride, sweating blood. It was very, very hard for him to do this, but he did it. He did it spiritually. He was willing to stand before the Father and say all their sins that they did, count it to me. Even though I've never done it, I've never sinned once in my life, count that to me. This is what Jesus did as he stands as our representative before the Father. And husbands, this is what we've been called to in the ways that we are called to love our wives. So if you're wondering, what does this look like? Husbands, how can I I figure out what this love really looks like? Look at Christ. That is where you're going to see the kind of love that you should be loving your wife with. If your relationship to your wife becomes a leadership that is being served and not serving, then you've missed something. Okay. If you're just thinking that headship means that they're going to serve you and be your servant, you've missed it. Okay. Because even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. This is what Jesus does. So husbands... This is what biblical headship looks like. It looks like Jesus giving his life up for the church, not domineering force, okay? not uh, by, by giving uh, anything other than uh, giving undeserved, representative, nourishing and cherishing to your wives. This is the love that you give to your wife at your own expense. Why? Because she's not part of you. You are one, and you love her as your own body. You are her head, and just like you, uh, just like you are Christ's body, He is your head, and you are uh, her head. Okay, this mystery is profound. Paul says it can boggle our minds really if we start to think too much about it. Okay, but it refers to Christ and the church, and you husbands are called to live out that mystery in marriage. You are called to actively make your marriage mirror this by your self-giving, and wives. You are called to receive this love through your submission to your husband and most importantly to God himself as he has handed this directive down to you both in the covenant of marriage. This is what marriage should really look like. And so the text ends in verse 33 and says, Let each of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Okay? And when you both, husbands and wives, when you both take this seriously, the result is a bride that is presented without spot or blemish and also a gracious husband. Okay? It's, it's a splendid marriage. It's a, it's a beautiful picture that portrays the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the calling for us all in marriage. Okay? It's to live out the gospel as Christ lives in us. As we look at the scriptures, look at Jesus, and that's what your marriage should look like. That's what it's calling us to this morning, husbands. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning as um, husbands, wives, single people, um, children, all over the place. But we thank you that no matter where we are and the household, what relationship we have, we thank you that Jesus has given us a beautiful picture of what love looks like. We thank you that you have loved us so passionately. We thank you for the sacrifice that was um, given to us. And Lord, I pray that as husbands this morning, including myself, I pray that we would take this seriously as we are loving our wives. Help us to love them well. And Lord, as we love them well, I pray that we would be a testament to your love towards the church, to others. That the world might see what we're doing and see that there's beauty in it. To see that there's something true here. To see uh, that there's a lot going on that is good. So Lord, I pray that you would uh, bless the marriages of this room. Help us as husbands, Lord, with this nearly impossible calling to live it out faithfully, um, patiently, and with love. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let us continue in worship this morning by standing and singing together Jesus, thank you.